0: Welcome to Supervision Simplified, the podcast that's here to rock your supervisory world. Our mission is simple yet powerful, to educate and elevate counselors, social workers, and psychologists, empowering them to serve their communities at the highest level of fidelity and service. I'm Dr. Amy Parks. I'm a child and teen psychologist, a group
1: practice owner, and a supervisor in Virginia. And I'm Valerie Harris, a trauma and attachment specialist, group practice owner, and a supervisor in Tennessee. Let's make it simple and dive right in.
0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to Supervision Simplified. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Amy Parks. I am Valerie Harris. (laughs) Eric. Hi, I'm Valerie Harris. You can say it more perky than that. I'm Valerie (laughs) Harris. (laughs) So we're so excited to have you here at the Supervision Simplified Vidcast, and we're going to be talking today about effective supervision in the mental health field, which is what we talk about all the time. But today we're also going to be talking about a little bit about some um, stories or sharing some stories and uh, wisdom from the trenches uh, that we've heard sort of on Main Streets, about uh, people's experiences in supervision. So, I know that um, both of us have experienced uh, our own unique challenges in supervision. People come to me as the owner of the clinical supervision directory all the time and tell me their stories about how crazy their supervision was, or some people had really bad supervision or lost all their hours in supervision. And that happens kind of a lot. I was lucky enough to have a good supervision experience, but I didn't find my supervisor from my work. I had to go hunt them down. And so like my process of finding a supervisor was really challenging, which made it, I think it had a couple, a couple layers to it. So finding a supervisor was hard. It was kind of like a drug deal where you had to like ask a friend of a friend of a friend and then like you know, secret interview with them. And then like, I was so nervous and so afraid to just reach. I don't know why I was just like, I can't call them. I can't, you know, you need to introduce me and they're like, okay. And so now I think that's funny thinking back on it, but, um, I didn't know, have any idea. And so, um, so because it was such a, like feeling like clandestine kind of thing. And then this person was such a like aspiration for me and such an aspirational person to work with. It took me a while to really feel like I could actually talk to them and really mm-hmm. share anything. Yep. Um, I felt like I was really performative a lot of the beginning. Mm-hmm. of my supervision. So I hear that a lot. I also hear a lot of people who go, so that was like me searching for a supervisor and finding someone. And then I hear of people who, um, who have the supervisor that they, where they work, where they're sort of sort of stuck with them. Although it's a great benefit in a lot of businesses, in in many businesses, all businesses, I think, that provide supervision, I think it's great. Good for you. Well done. I'm really thrilled about that. And yet, if you are forcing two people together that might not mesh or don't have the same value alignment or don't have the same philosophies or uh, don't even, you know, a lot of times the supervisor just doesn't have time for the supervisee um, or their, you know, their issues or whatever that's going to come up, then it can be really bad mismatch and that's where i hear the majority of stories i hear are because of a bad supervisor supervisee mismatch
1: yes i would agree with that i also think that um i think that probably as a supervisor i've experienced some of that where there's a connection with some that are better and then a connection with some that that um it's not that they're necessarily bad, but they're, they don't organically come off the ground in the same way that some of the others did. Right. And so even for the supervisor, it, it can be challenging because you're not sure. Like you're not sure if it's you or if it's, if it's just not a right match, but then again, um, you know, it's, But we also have, so since, so I'm in a a unique place, kind of like you, whereas I own the practice, but I'm also a clinical supervisor. And so because I have that dual role, we have another um, approved supervisor through the state that's offsite, but does face-to-face virtually. Um, And that's kind of to try to mitigate some of that, Mm -hmm. but also to create checks and balances for me Mm -hmm. so that there is someone else who is on the same level with me as far as reportability and can go that they can go to. Um, and I always encourage my supervisees to ask me why I am doing what I'm doing at any Mm -hmm. given time. You can Mm -hmm. ask why, um, just because I, some of the things that I've heard, I feel like they, I feel like a lot of what I've heard, honestly, has been more from people who came in as clients that were therapists and had terrible supervision oh, um, hmm. in their sites or people drinking on the job and they have alcohol there. Like just weird right. things where I'm like, that is egregious. Right. Um, so yeah, usually it's much more subtle than that, but sometimes big things like that happen. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm just not getting any at all. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm like, you don't mean, you mean there's none ever? No. Right. It gets, yeah. she, she cancels mine every time. I
0: want to go back. I love your, Um. I want to just kind of point out the action step that you threw out there so casually. And that was um, encouraging your supervisees to ask you why you're doing things. I think that that is a really, really valuable strategy for everyone to start applying and for supervisees that are watching or listening, they can go to their supervisor and say, Hey, could I start asking you why you do things? Because, And, you know, it's funny because when we're teaching behavioral sort of development for kids and families, we talk about, don't worry so much about the why, just deal with the what and how right now, because the why is very um, nuanced and your kids are little and they're, or your young adults are developing and will walk. But as you become an adult and as you move into the workforce, you know, it's really important to understand why you do things. And sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes I probably do things that look weird. Um, like I can't think of exactly an example, but I'm sure I can think of examples at home where my husband is like, uh, why do you do that? I'm like, thank you for asking. Let me tell you exactly why I do not put the sponge on the back of the sink. Right, You know, because mold grows there and I don't want that to happen. So it has to go in the sink. Oh, of course he still puts it on the back of the sink. So it's a yes. point. But the point, the, the issue is, is like explaining your why is a great way of understanding process.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's one of our core values is intentionality. Um, for that reason is, is knowing why you do what you do. But I tell them, you don't have to know all the things, but you have to know what you don't know and you have to know where to go. Yeah, And it's hard, that
0: whole idea of you don't know what you don't know is really, really challenging, really challenging. I'm seeing that more and more. mm -hmm. Um, And yeah,
1: it's really, really And I think it raises imposter syndrome a lot Mm. because then when confronted with a misstep, whether it's through a video session or through feedback from a client, and then, you know, having that discussion about what was missed and how it was missed. It's it's trying to mitigate the process and pace it in such a way that it, it can still be constructive and it can create value and add value and come from a place of curiosity. But even not knowing what you don't know can create feelings. Like I have a perfect example of this. It's, it is a supervisory thing in a sense. So I've had a lot of people that have come from community mental health and they have worked for several years, they have invested their time, they have grown as as best they could there, they have developed there, but there were certain things that they did not get there. And so coming into our practice, one of the things that has become hard about that is there are people that are in internship and in other levels who are, who are doing some of these things or can see some of these things easier because they've had this support for longer. And so even as they come into awareness of the things that they still need to grow on, there's, it's almost like there's a grief that comes with that because they've worked just as hard mm-hmm. and put in just as and put in more time mm-hmm. than maybe their peers up to this point. And yet there's an imbalance maybe in some of those more nuanced things because they were not adequately supported.
0: Yeah, and that happens in a lot of settings. I mean, it happens in a lot of private practices, too. I mean, every setting has different, um, offers different experiences for the supervisee. So some are going to be incredibly high quality, and some of them are going to be challenging. And, you know, I think one of the things I want to talk about in terms of, you know, stories from the trenches are things like, you know, being able to be exposed if you are – a a person that speaks Spanish, for example. You're not a first language, English language individual. So um, there are very few supervisors in the U.S., in the U.S.
1: Wow. um,
0: That are fluent in Spanish and offer supervision in Spanish. So, you know, or in a foreign language. So that is really an interesting um, fact. And looking for people that offer that level of diversity is really important. Diversity in and of itself is a huge, huge thing. And we talk a lot about how, Um, you know if if this idea of you're being sort of forced into the funnel of of supervision through your business and there's no one in that's supervising that's Mm -hmm. a clinician of color that you can identify with culturally that can really change the dynamic completely of your supervision and that's I think again where a lot of horror stories come from is you know like I was um you know like I was harmed in the this experience because this person didn't value or recognize my culture or wasn't culturally sensitive or, you know, really didn't create a space of safety for me to feel like I could, you know, kind of come into this and be, you know, have a perspective that is maybe not the same as their own. And so that's really interesting. But I mean, like, if we want to talk about the crazy ones, like, um, you know, like there's lots of, not lots, but there are quite, quite a number of stories where I've heard where, you know, a supervisor... Has asked their supervisee to go to a meal, and then um, hit on them, and so like that sometimes happens. Oh my gosh! Um, And the reverse happens too, you know, like where the supervisee is sort of like in loveish with the supervisor, and so then they they kind of hit on them. I mean that happens in lots of different I places right? I like to so. so yeah so that does have that happens um that's like a supervision horror story and then like like really serious ones like people being misgendered over and over and over and over and over again by their supervisor or um they've given their uh, a name, their chosen name, and they've been using the wrong name or the wrong pronouns over and over and over and over. That happens actually more than you would want to Oh my gosh. Think. And so, yeah, that happens way more than you think.
1: We started registry for those people to be reported. Well, I mean,
0: here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, there isn't a lot, that's a really good point. There isn't a ton of oversight for these kinds of things. I so, know, but this is very, this was a lot of like harm. A supervision recovery support group. But, you know, one of the, again, one of the reasons why we started the clinical supervision directories to create these environments where you could find someone that you could align with and so like you can ask for pronouns and you know if you speak another language you know i had a i had a, somebody approach me at a conference uh, as the owner of the clinical supervision directory and they were deaf and they were wow. an emerging clinician now they had some hearing limited amount of hearing but they really needed an accommodation in supervision i had a student also who was blind oh here's a really interesting so I had a student that was blind and in supervision, they, okay, so this is really interesting. So they were, um, they were in internship and they were, so they were not in supervision yet, but they were as being supervised as an intern. And they were in, because they were blind, the way the strategy was developed for them to participate in internship was that they would have a supervisor with them in session. And that supervisor with them in session would, I guess the premise was they would be available to sort of see the client and if there was any physical reaction that maybe the cl- the, the clinician didn't pick up on or something like that. Yeah. I don't really exactly, exactly know. But I guess that that was the, the premise for it, right? And so um, one one time this particular student was in session and did not know and and despite being blind and having incredible hearing, right? And like super super supersonic abilities in every other
1: sense except hearing,
0: right? Um, didn't know that the client they were supporting started to cry. And didn't make this like client, I guess their voice didn't modulate. Nothing happened. Just like tears started flipping out of their eyes right so of course supervisor that's sitting right there sees the client with tears falling out of their eye eyeballs and doesn't say a thing didn't make a comment at all so the student the intern in supervision is just sitting there just like doing their work and not knowing that the client is crying
1: it's a perfect example of misattunement
0: okay so then the client quit quit therapy and complained that they were not supported by the cl- the clinician because they didn't notice they were crying. Okay, so here's two sort of things that came out of that. Number one, that was a big major problem because the supervi- supervisor should have absolutely stepped in and done something very gently to sort of guide that experience. Mm-hmm. But also I found out afterwards in talking with this student who was I was not supervising them, but I was aware of their their circumstance. That the student had felt extraordinary discomfort around talking about their disability with mm-hmm. their clients wow. and coming at their client their client like relationship with it, you know, like everything out on the table because it's so it's very complicated to learn what do you share? What do you not share? What, you know, how much is Absolutely. too much? And so like, I was like, well, the fact that you're blind is kind of a major thing to share. Right. Well, like it doesn't mean to, to know. serious, but you know, you can say like, you might notice this and this and this, and that means this and this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, I guess not a horror story, but really it's damaging to, well, kill the super relationship dead. Obviously the client, was gone, so lost the client work, and yeah. the client it hadn't enough support and more, and then really eroded the confidence in support and in skill level of this particular intern. So lots of things went wrong there, and then, you know, of course, the supervisor just kind of unfortunately didn't handle it, I don't think, in the way they could have, but that's neither here nor there at this point, because I don't want to go any further with, with that story, but I do think that there are a lot of ways that things went wrong.
1: Yes, I can see. And even though, even as you're saying that, so we actually have a clinician in our community who I'm pretty sure is an LCSW, is blind mm-hmm. and does play therapy. Mm-hmm. Go, go figure. That's amazing, And it is incredible. So now I'm like, yet again, you present me with something where I'm like, I have, I have an idea. Um, and I'm like, she could totally do supervision and maybe she'd be open to it. That would be a fantastic resource to have. Well, yeah,
0: I mean, having somebody that is literally has doesn't have one sense, especially working with kids, being because you have to be so highly sensitive when you're working with kids yes. to all the things.
1: Um, I think that that would be really fascinating. And we've referred so. to her many times and and gotten phenomenal. Like they're like, I don't know how she does what she does. It's, that's great. It's like a superpower. So that's fantastic. That would be fantastic supervision for a student like that. that yeah,
0: so sense. one of the things you brought up was what happened to that supervisor or what happens to supervisors? Is yeah. there like some kind of supervisor like or something? I mean, there's certainly the board of counseling and there's each state has their own board of counseling. So there's certainly those avenues when you feel like someone has sort of egregiously violated what you consider to be appropriate supervision boundaries or ethical, but supervisors are held to the same ethical standards. Mm-hmm. But process is very individual and and so process and execution are extremely individualized. There's no, just like therapy, there's no, no one's going to report you for using CBT over DBT with a client. It's just not going to happen. And the same thing with supervision, no one's going to report you being necessarily using different modalities, but to, but to, to your point, should someone say when something egregious happens with their supervisor? Yes.
1: Yeah. Do they? Oftentimes, no, no. because you know why? They don't yeah. want to lose an hour. Oh yeah, that. But I also feel like they don't know the ethical requirements oh, of their supervisor. Oh only that
0: were the only reason. But they don't want to lose that hours. That's
1: the power differential. Oh yeah,
0: I worked with another. Um, I worked with another supervisee. Um, several years ago, who had kind of a falling out with their supervisor, and they had done. So in Virginia, we have to do two hundred hours of supervision, and they had done about seventy-five with this supervisor, and then they got a job and and left that employment now it wasn't a bad leaving or anything like that but they left that employment well as a result i guess of leaving that employment they had a falling out with this supervisor who was also their boss and the supervisor refused to sign the paperwork
1: refused now the board did get involved i was going to say why is that that not that should be unethical just like you don't hold people's records for payment like you know what i mean like
0: I have actually thought about, though, not holding records for payment, but and not I have thought about that, you know, another thing that's true, when you go to other states, so say, for example, you're in Tennessee, and this is not true like for Kentucky because Kentucky you have reciprocity, but say you want to go to Colorado, or like a perfect example is say you want to go to like New Hampshire or New York or New Jersey or D.C. D.C. is the best example because it's crazy town there. So if your clinician that you supervise wants to go to D.C., you have to, as a supervisor, have to sign off on their paperwork. Oh, I had to sign off for one that went to right. Colorado. Now, after military. a certain period of time, you're pretty much grandfathered in. But in the early years, if you're moving around, you have to sign off. Okay, so imagine if you, number one, your supervisor's lost, moved, died, or can't stand you anymore. <laughs> or you pissed them off. Like, I have thought about, you know... If a supervisee pissed me off enough, like I could just refuse to sign their paperwork. There's nothing that says, there's no ethical guideline that says I have to sign paperwork. Which that's a problem. There, nothing that says that. I think Which it's-, it's actually, so seriously, I I've, I've, I've thought to myself, you know what? If that person came to me, I might say, no, I'm not doing it. It's a lot of work. I'm just telling you, it's a lot of work. Like transferring someone's license to DC is a hell of a lot of work.
1: Oh yeah, no, I don't know how bad it is there. I did have one for the military, went to Colorado and sent me paperwork and it wasn't very alarming at first because I was like, I don't know anything about Colorado law. And so then I had to read the forms and read them again. And I knew she had the, she had done the hours, but she needed to verify how much she had done to get a temp license there.
0: Well, and then you're, so you have an obligation to like figure out how things are working in the other state. Yeah. Cause I wanted to make sure says, I wasn't signing right. something
1: that was right. not in line with what they do. So or what she had done with you. Right. Right. Yep. Right. So yeah, it's really, it difficult. there isn't, um,
0: and, and like nobody pays you for that. They just expect you to sign it. Exactly. And I'm like, girl or guy, like, really, I, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't have time. So I've had people that reached out to me and they said, oh, can you submit this by tomorrow? Like, uh, no. Right, I could submit it in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, let me put you on my to-do list. Exactly where it where I can fit it. I was like, it's gonna take some time. Like, this, seriously. I, so that I mean, you know,
1: that's kind of But a- she was grateful, and she was like, "Take your time." Yeah, that's but nice. I was not expecting it to be a Colorado form, which was weird. I almost thought like I would sign them in Tennessee it, or the Tennessee oh, okay. form, and you take that to Colorado. Oh but no, no, Clearly, and, that we are not that
0: specific. And some states are still requiring you to fax them. I'm like faxing. I like don't even know how to fax anymore. I mean, like, no, faxing is so old fashioned. I've no, never used it. I don't have a fax. I have no. I mean, I'd have to go to like FedEx to fax something, and I don't fax anything. I fax test results. I don't fax any test regards, results. You know? No, we just securely sign them and email them. Oh, um, we, we for protect them and email them. I have not, but I don't fax anything. So I just scan it and send it, but you can't scan everything because they need a wet signature on a lot of these things, oh, which means you can't have a cop photocopy of it. So anyway, yeah. so lots of really complicated details around supervision. And
1: I know that there are many more horror stories. So oh oh, I wonder if so, okay. you know, we said that we were going to create an email mm-hmm. for, I wonder if we should create a separate one. That for people or it could be this one but where they could just send their stories and well
0: they can dm us absolutely or, yeah but yeah be-
1: if you want your if if like whatever you don't want shared you just be clear we won't we're
0: not going to put any. i don't think we're going to put anyone's name i would love to know the state if we
1: could because yeah. the state would be pretty key well some may want to come on and actually talk about it so sure. i, I want to give them that opportunity sure. but if they don't i want them to like say you could share the story don't share my name or you could share the state don't share my name or whatever absolutely
0: absolutely i think that that would be really key and um and really fun but and interesting and and informative so you can certainly dm those to us and we'll be getting some more links uh in our show notes and in other places that's your job i'm i don't have any of that skill so i mean i do (laughs) but you're gonna figure that out um and so when we figure all that stuff out we'll be able to connect with more people and be able to get this kind of um, inside stories and things like that. I think, you know, the biggest thing is, um, you know, we hear stories all the time of, you know, ethical violations and mostly the stories that I hear are around just basic confusion around regulations. Yes. And some of that comes from the regulations being ridiculously confusing. Absolutely. And some of them come from people just not reading them.
1: Correct. And so, um, that makes Before you make an accusation about one you right. should have it in writing. Right. You should know the code, you should have the link and you should provide that to the person that you're going to confront with that. Oh, Otherwise, my God. you're yeah. going to end up being thought of. But it's interesting, <laughs> <lot of> people many <laughs> past- by everyone that you're you're going around uh, confronting people.
0: A lot of people ask questions before they even do the research too. And part of that is understandable because it's so complicated to try to find any regulations about anything in most of these state board websites. So I get how complicated it can be. Um, But definitely make sure that you know your regulations and and, um, you're aware of them. Because sometimes, many times, I hear stories also of supervisors have no idea what the regulations are in their state. Or even
1: interns from school to school. So some interns may need, a super a supervisor or a licensed person in the building, a lot of other universities will not require that. But if you're a student and that's required, you need to know that up front and yep. you should communicate that to your supervisor and not just put that on your supervisor. And this
0: isn't about throwing supervisors
1: under the no. bus.
0: This isn't about throwing businesses under the bus. Any of those things. It's about
1: how quickly all the wires get crossed yes. and get messy. Yes. All from a lack of clarity in whose role it is to do what. Yes. And also just not considering the position of the other person and what they're dealing with in immediately filtering things through a lens of it feeling some like like personalized in some way.
0: Yeah. So, you know, again, we're not trying to to, to um badmouth anyone, but we are trying to elevate the, the profession of supervision. provision, And so it's important for us to be talking about the things that we could all do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this Tales and Wisdom from the Trenches, um, as part of today's episode, is just the start of what we'll be talking about in our series of, of vidcasts for you um, in Sim- Supervision Simplified. So um our note here says it's called supervision chronicles but i don't think that that's um exactly i think what did you say you were going to call it i can't believe they did that or yeah. they did what i did what
1: <laughs> they <laughs> so did exactly, what? <laughs>
0: exactly but we hope the stories um and insights inspire and resonate with people that are listening and um and that you can remember also that of course supervision isn't just about guiding others but also about continuous growth and then our own self-reflection as supervisors And supervision seekers and protecting
1: the field that that we work in by not exploiting it and getting messy that's totally right
0: that's totally right (laughs) um thanks for tuning in to this episode of supervision simplified remember that the revolution starts here so we hope you've subscribed to supervision simplified and that you will share it with your friends and your colleagues and listen to it between clients and when you're in the car on the way to work it or school, reviews absolutely also send us your comments and feedback so we can be sure to be talking about what interests you the most yes until next time simplifying and elevating your supervision game have a great day bye bye Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Supervision Simplified. Remember, the revolution starts here. We hope you'll subscribe and that you'll share it with your friends and colleagues. We also want your comments, stories, and feedback, so we can be sure to be talking about what interests you the most. Until next time, keep on simplifying and elevating your supervision game.